0: In fact, just show me... Pi- Do you want to explain what that was? Um, that was going to be a little hard to explain. Was that your chair screaming under, the, uh, under your, <laughs> your weight? <laughs> it was.
1: Hello, welcome to the Cozy Cub and Dower Bear podcast. I am your Cozy Cub, Robbie Dick, and this is my co-host, the Dower Bear, Tony Harrington.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cozy Cub Dower Bear podcast. We have a lot of things to discuss today. We do. And I I don't know what I want to start off with. I think, first and foremost, we sound a little sad and put upon today because we had to start the day with some very unfortunate news.
1: (laughs) You think it's like someone died? Well, it ranks up there with death. (laughs) I mean, it was not a good way to start my morning. Let's no,
0: it is the death of the love for a very best boy. Is, <laughs> oh, is what
1: happened. I love him.
0: Oh, I'm not feeling it today at all. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're having to fire the ex- <laughs> We're having to fire the executive executive producer and former best boy King oh, Leonidas of Pupperton. Can we just suspend him? I mean, we might hire him back, but for right now, he's definitely fired. Oh. This morning.
1: He's in the room with me. He looks very sad.
0: Okay. Well, I'm sorry he had to find out this way. Uh, And his hearing is on point because he's a dog. So he most likely heard all of that. It is a sad occasion because this morning, King Leonidas of Pupperton defecated on the floor. And if that wasn't bad enough, if that wasn't a bad boy move, he upped the ante. And he stomped on it with his back paw and then walked all through the house. Then jumped up on the bed and walked around on the bed, leaving little shit footprints everywhere. Yes. Made it smell like a monkey house at the zoo. It was bad. It was really bad. And I,
1: was, I was reading a book. I was on the bed enjoying my lazy weekend morning and I smelt something.
0: Now, I was in the bathroom at the time, but it was not me.
1: no. <laughs> And I go I go over to look, look over next to Tony's dresser is so much dog poop. And I was like, oh, my God, how did he even do this? He was just outside.
0: That's the thing. Leo has gone through this phase where for the last month he has pooped on the floor. And aside from putting him to sleep, I don't know what we can do to rectify the problem.
1: Yeah, like he's not sick. And I don't think he's stressed out
0: yeah i don't know he's just he just pooped once or twice on that spot and now he's like this is my pooping spot yeah so we clearly I, have to ring him out each morning um to make sure he doesn't poop on
1: yeah the i um he's spraying down the carpet with white vinegar it's supposed to stop him from pooping on the floor Apparently, it's not happened
0: yeah and now all it's done is make the bedroom smell like shit and pickles it's what it smells like i don't know who came up with the spraying the vinegar thing there has to be a better way to do it i know that it's supposed to be a deterrent it's not working nothing is deterring this dog from from shitting on the carpet we do have plans on replacing the carpet he's speeding those plans along yes exponentially so and we are replacing it with wood flooring so at least if he ever goes on the floor it'll be easier to clean up
1: yes it will be
0: so that is the dour news that we had for this morning. To That's what started off our day. It was a, a surprise shit. A shit, a stomp, and a walkabout is really what happened. Speaking of shit, <laughs> we've been watching Ratchet. It's so...
1: Well, you know what? Actually, the name Ratchet really does describe it.
0: Well, you're saying Ratchet, and that mm-hmm. is not the name of it. It's Ratched with a D. I feel oh. like that's important to... Oh to <laughs> or, clarify I felt because that. you are horrible with names as i feel we have to emphasize every episode robbie said that he had heard things about ratchet he didn't specify whether they were good things or bad things they were I, just... had
1: heard... I had read both good and bad things
0: my favorite review was that it is the uh worst season of american horror story which i have to agree with yeah it ranks first of all Nobody asked for a prequel story about Nurse Ratchet from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It's just one of no those one. things that we didn't need the backstory. The backstory
1: is cuckoo bananas cray cray.
0: My biggest problem, and, and this might not this might be a, an opinion that most people don't share. I didn't feel that Nurse Ratchet in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was really a villain. I feel like she was very serious about her job and very serious about the care that was being given. And she was a stickler for the rules because when you're in a mental institution, there needs to be rules or the inmates will literally be running the asylum.
1: And she was working with some very flawed knowledge of psychiatry at the time.
0: I I mean, don't get me wrong. I think she was a bitch, but justifiably so. She had the important job of holding down the fort and having spent more than enough time in the hospital in the last year i can say nurses run that shit and well, they do not get the credit that they deserve
1: yeah but let's but let's get on what we hate about the show real fast it's ridiculous the plot lines make no sense i don't think ryan murphy has ever met a human being in this world
0: i don't think ryan murphy has uh, storyboarded anything i no. think he makes it up as he goes along that, that's would explain, been
1: my- that would explain everything that's going on in this show but also in past shows too
0: it went off the rails with ridiculousness. We found out that as a child, she was
1: forced into weird sexual scenarios with her adopted brother. Foster brother, yeah. She's now a
0: lesbian. Or uh, she's not, one or the other. We don't know. It's very up in the air yeah, <laughs> as to what we, she is. She's sexually ambiguous. Yeah. It's for whatever the situation calls for. I don't, I, I'm just hate watching it at this point. Yeah, we have two more episodes left of season one. Oh, thank God. It's, 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 it's almost over. What was it? 10 episodes? Is that what we- ate? Eight. eight? Okay, so it felt like 10. But so we're six episodes in and we have episode seven and episode eight to watch and it's hideous. I wouldn't recommend anybody watch the show. It's not cozy. I want to point <laughs>
1: out though, Sarah Paulson is doing a lot of work and she is doing the best of what
0: she has. So there's some great actors in it. Finn yeah. Wittrock is not one of them. No. But Sarah Paulson will, will give 100% of everything. Yeah. She is a, an American treasure. Yes. What I And whoever plays um, nurse Betsy Bucket. You're not supposed to like the character of Betsy Bucket, but oh my God, I love her so much. And when we first, there, she goes through this arc. Well, I like her in the later episodes. That's what I was getting ready to say. She goes through this arc where she starts off as the type of character that Nurse Ratchet is in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. A no nonsense. This is how I run my my show. You're, the nurses are going to be on point. I expect perfection, and that's how it is. So she comes across as a proto Nurse Ratchet from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, the She version comes off
1: as like incompetent too.
0: Not until later that starts coming out. But until then, as far as we know, she's been with the hospital forever. The current doctor, the new doctor, inherited her. Doesn't like her, but that doesn't come out until later. I just looked up the actress's name. Her name is Judy Davis. Judy Davis is a gem, and I love her. Yeah. Uh, But that said, the show is just not good. It is hyper-violent for no reason. For no reason. I mean, people being boiled alive in hot tubs uh eyes being shot out limbs being cut off limbs being broken in dresser drawers it's just horribly horribly violent for and there's no reason because sharon
1: stone is doing the lord's work as well
0: yes the the acting in this is not the problem for some reason ryan murphy attracts some a-level talent for some really c-level writing
1: (laughs) it's like a lot of his shows revolve around the strength of his actors and not so much around the strength of his storytelling.
0: Yes. Cause his actors are going to give 110% no matter what. Yeah. But yeah, so it's, it's not good. And compared to Hollywood, which was very enjoyable for I, being produced by Ryan Murphy, but I don't think written. Nope. Definitely not. Well, he didn't write these, but his hand is obviously more involved in this yeah. than it was for the like in the politician or even in Hollywood. Hollywood uh, was so good.
1: And not just because the guy who played Rock Hudson was so beautiful.
0: Well, there you go. That's um, how Rock. The, mm. You need a wet nap. I do. Okay. Yeah, just yeah. sop it up. Okay. <laughs> um, that's so, anyhow. We're going to continue watching it probably for as long as they keep making it, because at this point I'm invested in the hate that comes out of me. So, yeah, we will not recommend watching Ratchet. I don't know how it got made in the first place and why they decided they wanted to give a character like Nurse Ratchet this ridiculously horrible backstory. We didn't need to justify her other than what she was in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And that character was perfection. She's the Darth Vader of like medical dramas
1: talk about a prequel that ruined a character
0: that's what I, that's the parallel i was drawing robbie oh, yes sorry. <laughs> no it's a, you're a little thick but um
1: <laughs> so hey, i've been losing weight
0: have you you went for one walk today
1: i don't know how many walks have you been for
0: i went on one a couple weeks ago and then i hurt my tootsies you did i hurt myself walking i don't know what you <laughs> want me to say anyhow <laughs> now that we have fat shamed each other, <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Uh, what a, <laughs> I don't even know anymore.
1: Boil up some water, grab a tea bag, and drop it. Now that it's time for steep it or stop it.
0: Nothing goes better with a cozy mystery than a hot cup of cozy tea. The tea that we're going to be discussing today on Steep It or Stop It, it's another tea from Puka, P-U-K-K-A, and today we are discussing peppermint and licorice. It's an organic tea, and it's described as a sweet and deliciously refreshing thrill. So we're going to go ahead and take a sip. Do you have your your sipping tea ready, Robbie? I I have it ready. Okay. um... The first thing I'm going to say... Before even tasting it, is it smells like sweaty sock water. Yes. That does, am,
1: I'm right. not a big fan of licorice tea to begin with. And this one follows through with every other licorice tea
0: I've ever had.
1: It's kind of gross.
0: Well, I've had stash licorice, like the stash licorice tea that I was a fan of, because the licorice tea is typically naturally sweet. It doesn't really take a lot of sweetener. It has a, a nice sweet flavor, uh, very mild. It is very pungent. Yeah. It's not a good pungent, if there is such a thing. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think pungent is never... never, Pungent is just strong. Um, I didn't say it was noxious or anything, but it's it's rough. It's rough going. I'm a little apprehensive to sip this one, so here we go. Go for it. Oh, God. Yeah, it's bad. Hmm. For as much (laughs) as I enjoyed Puka's um, cinnamon revitalized tea... This is on the completely opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah. It, it ha I don't even want to take it. So I do right off the bat, there is a a cooling peppermint sensation. I'm not picking up the flavor of peppermint at all. That's a, that's no. that's the first ding. And that um it tastes exactly how it smells. This might be for some people. It is definitely not for me. Or me. It is wow. Um so I think that uh, three episodes in on our third tea, we have our first our first official stop it.
1: Yes, I vote stop it.
0: I vote stop it. Unfortunately, they can't all be winners. And Puka, I won't tag you in the tweet about this tea. But for anybody listening, Puka Peppermint Licorice Tea is definitely a stop it. Let's talk Winter Takes All. Let's talk a little bit about the book details first. So Winter Takes All is written by uh, M.L. Erdahl. That's M.L., the initials, which many of my favorite writers use initials. There is like, you know, F. Paul Wilson, Dean R. Kuntz. Ooh rl stein oh you do not enjoy stein. <laughs> i do not dr seuss there's all like, oh, uh, like jk rowlings jk rowlings yes they all all the greats use initials right off the bat i was like that's a plus ml erdahl it's the ambiguous ml we don't know what it stands for i know what it stands for michael lewis i we don't know what the l stands for i think that is awfully i mean it could be lewis I don't know how many L, like middle Lawrence. um, Luminol. Luminol. Yes. Michael luminol Mm -hmm. Erdal. That's not not his name. (laughs) Uh, Anyhow, he's doing, I think, like an S.E. Hinton thing since Cozies are typically written by females. Yeah. I feel like he's doing... Yeah, I feel like he's doing an Se Hinton thing, who wrote The Outsiders, and wrote just using her initials because people would never take a story about fifties greasers seriously if they knew it was written by a woman. But we pulled this. Uh, we pulled the curtain back. We pulled the curtain back, and M. L. Erdahl is a guy that's not anything. We're not revealing anything. If you go to his website, you'll see that. If you follow yeah. him on Twitter, you'll see that. If you read the book, you'll see it. If you read, yes. Yeah, so it's it's we're not we're not divulging any any trade secrets here
1: no he's not like one of those harlequin writers who has to write under a woman's pseudonym. i mean not all of them are women i mean the the majority of them are women but they do have male writers but no uh but they always have to write under a female's name
0: well that is interesting
1: yeah because i mean are you going to read a harlequin from bob
0: saget I don't know why. That was the, <laughs> the answer to that is yes, <laughs> yes. I would read a Harlequin romance written by Bob Saget. I don't know why that was the name I chose. The book was published October twenty third <laughs> of twenty nineteen, so coming up on one year. Uh, so October twenty third will be celebrating the one year anniversary of M. L. Erdahl's inaugural foray into the cozy mystery, into the cozy genre. It's published through uh, the Wild Rose Press. Uh, the page count comes in at 201 quaint, easy breezy pages to read. Yes. It is available on Kindle for only 99 cents. It's also available on Audible for $17.46. Or if you purchase it on Kindle, you can add the whisper sync narration, which is the same as the audible narration, for only seven dollars and 49 cents. So it's cheaper to buy the Kindle version and then add on the narration for an additional seven dollars and 49 cents. I do do that with a lot of books, I think it's great when they make that available. Yeah, the paperback version is going to set you back fifteen dollars and 99 cents for those people who prefer a more tactile experience. of turning pages i know some people are still in this day and age very anti-e-reader the average amazon star rating is sitting at four and a half stars out of five yeah a little bit about ml Erdahl. Uh he is an award-winning author uh, he lives in the pacific northwest where he pens cozy mysteries obviously he is married to a wonderful woman named emily uh, he has two rescue fur babies named skip and daisy i fur normally babies. i used to hate the term fur babies but it has grown on me <laughs> I don't know, it's the cute thing i used to hate people who say because it, it's so cliche oh we adopted we don't have children but we have we have seven fur babies oh. i'm like okay you're just collecting dogs at this point but um or cats whatever it is but yeah so he has two rescue fur babies named uh skip and daisy that's adorable Uh, He enjoys gardening, reading, and finding the best coffee in Seattle. And when we speak to him, we're going to be setting up the interview with him probably for this weekend. So when we speak to to Mr. Erdahl, we will ask him if he has found the elusive best coffee in Seattle. And if he says Starbucks, we're ending the interview. So this is going to be the first question that we ask. No, he's going to pick
1: Seattle's best.
0: I'm wondering if it's going to be like at Pike's Market.
1: There 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 are places you can get coffee in seattle
0: you can no, get no, caught I, no no, i meant specifically in pikes oh yes i'm, I'm aware i've been to pikes have you yes i don't know you've been to seattle yes i've been to seattle and i went to pikes wow. uh and i did not catch a fish but i did see somebody get hit in the head with one because they thought that they would be able to catch a flying fish and they failed miserably
1: i just found out that you've been to washington state
0: yeah to just seattle and then well actually i I was in portland uh and then went to a day trip to seattle oh so all all we saw was the space needle and then pike's market that was pretty much it
1: you took like a four-hour drive
0: yeah it was a it was a pretty drive oh yeah yeah and then we went to the movies and saw crouching tiger hidden dragon so that should tell you how long (laughs) ago that was out Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So it's been a hot minute. So let's get into the breakdown of the novel. Typically we would do a character breakdown, but I decided that we're just going to include the characters in the novel breakdown for the sake of making these podcasts a little less than two hours. So I
1: think it will really work out with this one too, because there was a lot of characters.
0: I think I covered most of the ones that we need to, that we need to discuss. I know that in the next book that one of the peripheral characters is going to play an integral part. I just don't know which one. So we'll figure that out.
1: Oh, oh, was he telling you this?
0: No, it's um, on his website. He mentions that he's uh, working on a book that takes place in spring, and the main character, Crystal, is having to solve a crime that was pinned on one of her friends. Oh. But it doesn't (gasps) say which friend. Olivia. One would assume. But we've... We've met a, lot of, we met a lot of characters in this book, so I'm not 100% sure.
1: She's going to kill Darcy.
0: Before we go any further, though, <laughs> I do want to say that if you were on Twitter, you can follow M.L. Erdahl at Erdahl M.L. And that is E-R-D-A-H-L-M-L at Erdahl M.L. Was M.L. Right. M. Erdahl already taken? <laughs> That would be so weird if it was. So here we are getting into the Winter Takes All recap. Crystal hates her job, her dead-end existence, and her lack of significant love life. That, mixed with seasonal effectiveness or seasonal affective (laughs) disorder of the Seattle winters, she's probably one screwed-up Starbucks order away from punching her own ticket. Damn. On the way to a job she hates, and because this is fiction, Crystal decides to write down her New Year's resolutions. When she attempts to save the file, she realizes that last year's resolutions are still on the device. And when you know it, they're the exact same. Yeah. Exact same. On a whim, Crystal decides that she's going to quit her job. And then she quickly gets another job working as a tour guide for an excursion company called the Emerald City Outfitters in the Cascade Mountains of Seattle, outside of Seattle. A job for which she is wholly unqualified for, first of all. Well, she she's walked around. Yeah, she has walked around Seattle and Seattle neighborhoods, so obviously she's... She's, she's like, I'm, I'm ready. Yeah, she's, she's ready to make that next leap into t- wilderness tour guide. <laughs> Since she lied to get the job, she now has to go to a sporting goods store to buy snowshoes and other gear. Though she has no idea what to ask for or how to use the items she's buying. While there, she meets the rugged and manly Connor Oaks in a little oh. meat cute in the store. Robbie, again... Clearly, what is your take on Connor Oaks?
1: I just think he's handsome. He sounds rugged, ready to go. What celebrity are you picturing?
0: Uh, I forgot
1: his name, uh, but he was the main character of that show, Galant.
0: Mm. I don't know the actor, but I know the show, and I know what you're talking about. So it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> the next day, Crystal shows up for her... Uh, oh, hold on. Got a little ahead of myself there. So while there, she meets the rugged and manly Connor Oaks, who looks like the actor who was in uh, Gallivant. Gallivant. that's it. Yeah, not gallant. It's not a Mitsubishi. The sales associate within whom she confides that she is a novice with no hiking experience. He shows her the basics of snowshoe lacing and how to walk in different kinds of snow. All the good stuff that she needs to know to be a, a tour guide or to go snowshoeing at least.
1: Okay, so his name is Joshua Sassy.
0: Go ahead and spell that because I don't know that you're getting this right. S A S S E. Okay, we'll get with Sassy, because I have no idea. <laughs> Sass, maybe, or Sase? Yeah, Sace. I mean very, it could be Sassy. We'll very figure cry- Ali Minogue. 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 You know what? Just stop saying names. <laughs> okay. The next day, Crystal shows up for her first day on the job. Cocksure that she will have learned enough from the handsome guy. It's a word, Robbie. Cocksure <laughs> is a word.
1: <laughs> I just picture Crystal swinging some real BDE coming into this place. Like ah, I got this. You and
0: I are gonna fucking fight right like this. <laughs> the next day, Crystal shows up for her job, first day on the job cocksure that she'll have learned enough from the handsome guy at the sporting goods store to pass as an experienced tour guide. When she gets to the meeting spot, surprise bitch, she sees Connor standing there greeting the clientele. Obviously, Connor's like, oh, you lied. (laughs) Um, And I know that you're a liar because you told me that you have never done this before. And yet here you are, my partner, a fellow tour guide. So anyhow, she decides she has to come clean at this point, and she tells him, yeah, I lied to get the job. And Connor, being either simple or sweet, promises to protect her secret if Crystal doesn't tell the owner, Amelia, that he works for a competitor retailer part-time. I think these a little column A, column B. Of column yeah, a little bit. So, But one of these things, one of these little white lies seems a little more disingenuous than the other. Well, one, but, they, but
1: one of them does violate a contract.
0: A contractual agreement.
1: Yeah. Okay. Like, and the
0: other one gets somebody killed. So.
1: Yeah. But I, I'm telling you, Amelia is going to care way more about that contractual agreement.
0: Amelia is a stickler for detail. So you're probably right.
1: Yeah. So it's
0: probably best that she doesn't know Connor works for a competitive uh, outdoor company. But anyhow, this begins, these two little white lies Begins a long history of deceit and lies by everybody in this book. Oh yeah, everybody. This book's a fucking liar. Yes. We meet Phil, the blowhard owner of an architect firm who chartered the tour. With him is his wife, Madeline. 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 <laughs> I like to think Madeline. Madeline. She's like the
1: little redheaded girl. If the little redheaded girl had an alcohol problem.
0: I mean, she might. It oh. takes place in France. With the nuns? I mean, I don't know what they do in the, in, in the orphanage. They have to pass the time somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so she's probably dipping into the wine. Pass the sloth.: So Madeline is very aloof and genuinely disinterested in anything that's happening. She's just a, a sourpuss. Uh, we also meet Alice and her husband, Ryan, who are architects for the firm. There's also Justin and Bree who are dating. And they're also employed by Phil. Uh, we meet Gary, who is an employee who so badly wants to be partner at the architectural firm that he has surgically adhered his lips to Phil's prostate, <laughs> and they do not leave. Mm-mm, not no. I'm surprised that Gary <laughs> didn't go off the cliff with Phil. That's hell. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. That we're going to get to in, in the next couple minutes. Um, the group rounds out by <laughs> introducing us to Georgia, the office manager at the firm. So the group sets about hiking. They arrive at the chalet in the mountains and they're greeted by Roxy. Roxy is a hostess exuding Southern charm and hospitality. The party gets checked in and they set about eating and drinking because nothing says cozy more than eating. I don't know what it is. A, you're
1: going to have a real big problem with the next book.
0: I don't understand. Is this a cozy staple? Is, is uh, There is a lot of eating. Everybody gets to the chalet and they're enjoying themselves. Crystal goes into the basement of the chalet where the staff quarters are housed, and she decides she's going to take a quick nap. And by a quick nap, she wakes up at when, 1 a.m. and what wakes her up is the sound of breaking glass and an argument. There's definitely some raised voices going on. She and Connor meet in the stairwell and they head upstairs where they find Bree crying. This is going to be a recurring theme of Brie. Yep, a very, uh, a reoccurring theme. is uh, very emotional. Let's just put it that way. Well, she has one emotion. Yes, crying. That is her one emotion. Connor and Crystal notice that a table's been overturned. Wine bottles have been broken. A shelf has been knocked, a shelf in Brie's bedroom has been knocked from the wall. Apparently, Phil channeled his inner real housewife, (laughs) got belligerently drunk, berated his employees, and flipped over a table and headed out into the night on a snowmobile to do the world of solid and drive headfirst off a cliff.
1: Phil was all like, prostitution whore, flipped the table.
0: (laughs) Prostitution whore. (laughs) have you never seen that clip <laughs> no but it sounds amazing
1: it's uh the uh from it's from the it sounds like season. new jersey it is the first season of new jersey it's oh. uh uh Teresa. she gets mad at uh diane stobbs who's only on for like uh, who's,
0: is she the one with the fake leg the wooden no. leg or is that is that uh beverly hills
1: i think that's new york with the fake leg
0: okay i don't yeah,
1: know yeah but they like. Like and she's all like they, they found this book that was written about Diane and they read it and they're like, You were a stripper, you were a prostitute, you did all this stuff with the cops, you prostitution whore? and then
0: flips <laughs> the table. <laughs> I will never watch
1: that, that you should just watch that one episode. That's a good episode. I will
0: watch the clip. That's 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 all I can commit to. And
1: and then and then one of the uh Manzo sons tried to like stop her, and she like this is not a very big woman and she throws this dude with like little effort she's just like suck it sucker wow it, it's like one of the, it's amazing she's the one who went to prison
0: oh oh judice
1: yeah teresa judice yeah okay
0: yeah i do G- judice doesn't sound very italian i think it's like judici well, but they don't pronounce it that way well didn't we find out that wasn't that dude's real name Of course it wouldn't be his real name because Judice is not an Italian name.
1: No, but like then we find out that like
0: like one of the reasons he he got
1: deported was because that wasn't his real identity. I I might be making this up.
0: No, you're probably not making it up. You're just asking somebody who has zero fucks to give (laughs) about why they went to prison slash got deported. (laughs) So Madeline, Ryan, Justin and Gary have headed out into the night to try and track Phil down. Staying behind in the chalet are Alice and Bree. Al- <laughs> Alice and Bree. <laughs> Alice and Bree and Georgia. How great would it be if like Alice and Bree just showed up in this cozy mystery? I'm not going to lie when I said Al- Alice and Bree meaning Alice and Bree it made me picture Bree played by sweet, sweet little Allison Brie, <laughs> specifically during her community <laughs> years.
1: Oh, her mousy years?
0: Yes, and her mousy, cute, innocent, sweetheart years. Yes. Not her glow, badass, wrestling bitch years. Or, or her uh, whatever the rental is years. She, she needs to be in everything. I love Alison Brie. She's, she's I nice. wonder if she has gays.
1: Oh, I'm sure. There's no way she doesn't. There's no way she doesn't
0: we got to find celebrities who are just breaking out who don't have gays. I feel like... Unless the, unless the gays are off footed by Dave. They're like, oh, no. Oh, yeah. They, <laughs> I would be off-put by Dave Franco. But anyhow, <laughs> as luck would have it, Connor, delicious Connor Oaks, is also trained in search and rescue. Because oh, yeah. Why not? And he heads into the wilderness to find the party that wandered off in search of Phil.
1: Connor's I- kind of like a Swiss army knife. He can do anything in the woods.
0: Yes, if, if, if something needs to be done in the woods, Connor is going to be your man. Yes. Alice decides that she needs to go out into the blizzard and find her husband, Ryan. She shrugs off Crystal, who tries to stop her, and heads outside where she now spots Ryan making his way back toward the cabin. Yeah, the, snow, no, the snow is waist deep, and he made it about 50 feet before realizing he's not cut out for heroic bullshit and started <laughs> turning, turning tail and heading back to the cozy cabin. Crystal does the only, at this point, Crystal does the only thing she's probably legitimately qualified to do and, and make some coffee for Alice and Ryan. She hears, them, she hears them talking in hushed tones as conspiratorial characters in these type of books are wont to do. But even more suspicious, they stop as soon as she approaches. What were they talking about? Who knows? Why were they doing it in hushed tones? Uh, I don't know.
1: They were uh, discussing the gift that they were going to give her,
0: and they were like, oh, no, she's here. We can't let her know that we were talking about giving her a gift, this guide who we just met. Yeah. So Bree, who has been crying this entire time, <laughs> stops crying long enough to add that the argument began... Uh, with Phil and Madeline and that it carried over to the group as the wine poured freely. So she's providing a little, um, oh, sorry, I skipped the whole point. Crystal asks what happened. And then Ryan fills her in that the group may be just a little bit dysfunctional. Bree's stop- understatement of the century. <laughs> yes, there's actually another understatement coming up here in a little bit. Bree stops crying long enough to add that the argument began when Phil and Madeline uh, had it out in their bedroom and Madeline kicked Phil out and said he needed to sleep on the couch. Um, then the wine began pouring freely. There's like 14 or 15 bottles of wine that get consumed. Damn. I know, it's a lot. Crystal inquires of Bree why Phil had a fight with her. Instead of answering, she just goes back to crying. Or Bree's gonna,
1: wa- gonna be waterlogged by the end of this book. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Connor returns a little bit later with the three other members of the search party, but alas, no Phil. Mm. Uh, deciding that it's best to wait until daylight to continue their search for Phil, everyone they just go to bed. They assume that he's fine. He probably left the mountain in disgust. He's holed up in a cabin someplace. Uh, Madeline gra- uh, grabs replacement Phil which is just a bottle of <laughs> wine but unlike her real <laughs> husband it at least makes her feel something and she gets to be better.
1: I have to feel something!
0: <laughs> S- search and rescue then radios Connor and advises him that Phil's body has been found in a ravine off of a steep cliff and they are now in recovery mode. So it's no longer search and rescue it's search and recovery. Phil be dead. Yes, Phil Phil has met the maker. Crystal still wants to know what caused the fight because she can't let it go. So she wants to know what caused the fight that sent Phil into the wilderness to his death because, you know, again, she can't stand not knowing the hot gossip. Because no one is giving her the deets, she snoops around the chalet in hopes of finding just one clue, just enough to, uh, but in doing so, she gets sleepy, you know, like she does. So, you know, waking up at one o'clock was a little much for her. She made that coffee and it just exhausted the shit out of her. She snooped around for half a minute and says, like, you know what? It's time for bed. So she's awakened by Connor the next morning and prepares the group for departure. Crystal whispers to Roxy that Phil is dead. Roxy somehow slept through the whole thing and utters her understatement of the year. I'm a heavy sleeper.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then she gets mad that... The they didn't wake her, and Cromer's like, I tried to, and she's all like, "You could have slapped me around a little bit. I wanted to see the hot
0: goss." <laughs> you could have, you could have, you could have given me a couple snacks to wake me up.
1: <laughs> You're just like Roxy, but I will say I do love Roxy.
0: Roxy is the best, and I, I, I don't know, that,
1: I, I don't know how he would add her into another book, but I hope he
0: does. I mean, she works at several of the chalets, so I think she just works at on that one. No, the guy owns a couple chalets, so she could technically work at any of them. Oh, I guess you're right. Roxy makes the group some breakfast. Madeline eats and drinks some coffee, seemingly not too upset that Phil is still missing. (laughs) Why nobody has told her yet that her husband is dead, that should have been... That's something that's worthy of waking somebody up for.
1: Well, they may have, and she's just so drunk, she wouldn't know.
0: No, they don't. She doesn't know at this point. Nobody woke her up and said, we have some bad news, girl. Well, you're going to find out, too. Nobody actually likes her. Truth. Yeah. Like, nobody likes Madeline. Hear me out. Connor. Crystal. Roxy. Well, Roxy, Roxy. no. Because she didn't know. Roxy was in a fucking coma. Roxy was in a coma. She didn't know. They could have waken her up, the wife of the deceased, and said, your husband is dead. Instead, they let her sleep through the night. They let her get up eat some breakfast drink some coffee she has no idea that her husband is dead and three people know and they're just laughing it up <laughs> like they're not uh, they're not uh, but holy cow. they may have been yeah so you would just think that would be one tender morsel of information that should have been con- conveyed at least to madeline yeah. if ever there was a time to pull someone aside that would have been it yo girl your husband's dead he ain't in the union anymore <laughs> at this point connor breaks the horrible news in front of everyone madeline caught completely off guard and but she's also upset that the last words that she had with phil was an argument Bree is inconsolable still <laughs> and again crying harder than anyone should over phil's death yeah we're gonna find some shit about phil Phil is not, spoiler, Phil is not a nice man. No, he's not. But we already, there's been no bones that he's not, that, that, that he's a nice guy. Like that, that is very evident from the very beginning of the novel. So Connor and Crystal then, after they break the news that Phil is dead and everybody is distraught, they go into the basement lodging and we get a description of the layout of the area, including the rooms, the common area and the kitchenette. So what do they do? They eat a home-cooked meal. <laughs> And they talk about how great of a host Roxy is uh, to the tour guides, what books are on the bookshelf. And then they talk about pecan pie, you know, everything except for the dead guy. This so,
1: is when we also find out that Connor is into pirate erotica,
0: I don't remember. I didn't write this down. So, I feel like. <laughs> that this is something that was mentioned in passing and you filled in the blanks
1: well no because he's reading some book like The Pirate's Lover or something like that and he was all like this isn't what I normally read but they have the rest of the books here and I spend so much time in here that I just, I just had to finish this, the, the series
0: okay so yes he's probably into pirate erotica that's a really weird thing to pick up out of all the words that were written in the book but sure <laughs> I'm more off-put that they just dropped a bomb on somebody. Then they were like, peace, bitches, and then went and ate fried chicken and pecan pie and then laughed and flirted with each other like nothing was wrong.
1: Well, they couldn't leave the chalet because because a tree uh, had uh, fallen down. That's not until
0: the next day. Anyhow, Crystal decides that this is the best time to open up about why she lied to get the job, even though no one asked. It turns out, like every other American, she loathed corporate America and she wanted out. Connor explains that he studied forestry in college and this is all that he's ever known. He has big aspirations, though, to own a houseboat in which he can live with his dog, Maggie. This is probably M.L. Erdahl's way of letting the reader know that Connor is single and ready to mingle.
1: Well, because she originally thought Matt, because he's like, oh, Maggie and I have been saving up to live on Lake Union. And she's like, oh, shit, he's got a girlfriend. And then she finds out that Maggie is like a black lab.
0: Which is weird when you think about it. Have you ever said Leo without explaining to somebody who Leo is? No, I'm always like, my dog, Leo.
1: Right. But so so that's, why, that's why after he shows her the picture, I have expected him to be like, that's my
0: girlfriend. Of the dog? Yeah. Okay. Well, you're gross. So at this point, Roxy enters the basement quarters and hangs out with Connor and Crystal, probably because at this point, those two are a lot more fun than the weeping and wailing going on upstairs. <laughs> She hangs out with them for a little bit, revealing to Crystal that she's not really Paula Dean. She is a chocolate-loving diabetic from Vancouver who is on the search for the best sugar-free candy bar.
1: she These shovels... Canadians
0: are liars. Yeah. Well, do you think it's Vancouver, Canada, or Washington? Oh, I'm sure it's Canada. I mean, it takes place in Washington, so why wouldn't it be Vancouver, Washington? Well, because it's closer. I'm Vancouver, Canada, 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 is closer to Seattle than Vancouver, Washington yeah, is. Yeah, it's
1: just a ferry right away.
0: Okay. Anyhow, she shovels several pieces of sugar-free chocolate into her gullet that Connor bought her, probably exceeding the maximum amount of sugar alcohols and will spend the rest of the evening shitting herself silly. (laughs) Roxy, As a a diabetic, I can tell you that's definitely what happened. Roxy leaves, probably because her guts started liquefying. Crystal and Connor share stories about how they ended up at Eco, the, which is the Emerald City Outfitters, but their conversation is interrupted by a man and a woman arguing upstairs. A door slams, and everything is quiet instead of making sure everything is okay and that another member of the party isn 't on their way to the great hereafter. the two guys just the two guides being Crystal and Connor, just decide to turn in for the night because fuck everything else they don 't need another dead body, and the less they know, the better. the next morning, Crystal and the group leave the chalet they head out of the woods and it was at this point um a tree fell and then so there's some i i left a little bit of stuff out but the gist is a tree fell they were stuck at the at the uh the chalet for an extra 24 hours no reason other than to have search and rescue come and spend a little time uh searching the area providing just a little bit more information so nothing really major happens uh then Everybody goes to bed again. The next morning, Crystal and the group leave the chalet. They head out of the woods and back to civilization. Connor decides he's going to stay, bu- uh, stay behind and help with the recovery of the philsicle. <laughs> On the van ride back to the city, we encounter the first real sign of emotion from Madeline. She actually has tears silently rolling down her cheek. Bree, not to be out drama, <laughs> resume- <laughs> resumes crying so hard that the salt in her tears starts attracting deer.
1: <laughs> I like to think that you remember that episode of The Simpsons where they're doing Hamlet and Lisa is uh, Ophelia, and she's like nobody out crazy's Ophelia. Yes, <laughs> that's Brie. That nobody out drama is Brie. Brie. Yes,
0: yeah. so Brie went back into her st- into hysterics and and just continued crying. <laughs> Back at the store, they're they're now every like the whole party is now back at the at Eco. And everyone leaves, presumably, presumably thanking Crystal sarcastically for a vacation they will never forget. Crystal takes the gear into the store and is greeted by Lisa, the store manager, who asks Crystal how her first outing went. Then we meet no nonsense boss Amelia. She shows up and berates Crystal for letting a guest die. But unlike the corporate world, this doesn't warrant a write-up. Because apparently oh. <laughs> i feel
1: like amelia's reaction was completely legit she's like when i told you she said something but she's like but i also meant for you to bring them all back alive and then lisa's all like how dare you say that to her
0: well you know amelia is pretty i like amelia i love her i have no issues with amelia yes she is the nurse ratchet from the movie not from the tv (laughs) series
1: well no she could be from the tv she's already killed nine people too now we're gonna find out
0: that amelia is crystal's
1: big nemesis later on
0: Holy cow! I hope not. Um, so, Crystal figures now is the perfect time for Sunday brunch, and hence to her parents' house, which they apparently bought from the bitch, from the bitch on the Swiss Miss cocoa packaging. It's this big house with a wraparound porch, ornate spindles, and gingerbread trim. Which I feel like this house would have been a a, a, a lot of money. It would have been a, it would have been a cool mill. It sounds like a very Expensive house, especially in in the Seattle area. You know that they spent a, a nice penny on it.
1: He said the neighborhood, but I
0: can't remember what neighborhood they were
1: in. Yeah. But I feel like it was a nicer neighborhood.
0: It sounds like it, especially the yeah. this describing the ornate housing.
1: Yeah, and then we find out that like Crystal's family only likes only does these brunches to basically shit on her.
0: Yes, that's the whole point for the brunch. Anyhow, Crystal goes inside and greets the dog. Um, bingo was his name oh yeah she then greets her dad who calls her pumpkin probably because she's stringing and full of seeds her <laughs> mother her, her mother immediately goes on about how crystal quit her job
1: and also thinks that crystal has a completely different job
0: He's not quite sure what Crystal does. Crystal yeah, works yeah. in Crystal worked in an office as like an administrative assistant, but yeah. her mom seems to think that she's this big corporate broker and brokering deals and all this stuff and yeah. accounting and whatnot.
1: Yeah, she's all like, she's all like, is it is it another job, uh, closing deals? And Crystal's like, I've never closed a deal in my life.
0: Crystal then. After the mom kind of berates her about about how she quit her job, Crystal then repeats the entire first three chapters of the book for those coming in late. But now, it's a flashback. Crystal arrives at her office job, looking like a drowned, harassed rat. She goes into the bathroom to tidy up and is greeted by her bestie, Olivia, who goes into MacGyver Beauty School graduate mode and fries Crystal's (laughs) hair under the hand dryer. We then meet Darcy, Crystal's nightmare boss. The only thing Darcy likes more than issuing a write-up is keeping track of how many write-ups she's issued. When Darcy tells Crystal that she's going to be written up, she demands Crystal confirm that this is indeed write-up number two, following a cupcake incident that led to write-up number one. Crystal tells Darcy to pound sand and quits on the spot, which elicits a victory help from Olivia and thusly ends the flashback. Yeah, Darcy's like a fucking serial killer. Yeah, hopefully we don't get to see any more of Darcy. Yeah, very short time that she was in that. She reminds—I don't know if ML Erdahl had a very bad experience with a boss like this, and then put her into the book to make everybody hate her. But I feel like that's what—that's what I would do as a writer. I would—I mean, I would kill her off.
1: Yeah, but 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 like I don't know. Like Darcy was like crazy evil. She's crazy evil, but she's so realistic. Yes. And her
0: nastiness and her vitri- vitriol that I was like, she has got to be based on a real person.
1: He's like, I have power over five people. I'm going to exude all
0: the power over these five people. Exactly. We all have had a boss like that. And I feel like Darcy is definitely based on a real person.
1: I think so too.
0: So the flashback is done. Crystal da- Crystal's dad praises her for her decision to quit. And then his validation is clearly more than she ever wanted in life. And she gushes. <laughs> The mom's first instinct upon hearing that a man died on Crystal's first day on a new job is to ask whether she's in love with Connor or not. Okay, so the thing with the parents
1: is one of the things about Cozy Mysteries that I have a big problem with. It's a trope that happens in almost every single book. Moms are judgmental shrews and dads are vessels of
0: light. But they are tropes. And it's and it's a genre trope and this falls within the genre so this is one of the few
1: times this is one of the few genre tropes where i really don't like though
0: right but i think it is a requirement like eating yeah oh yeah and having potentially two boyfriends which thus far this book no they do not they do not go that path this is the crystal connor show Yes, which is very refreshing, because I was really going to lose my shit over another love triangle.
1: I thought it was going to be the, sh- the sheriff that we meet in a few minutes, and I was oh. going to lose my fucking sugar.
0: <laughs> Your what? My sugar. Oh, okay. I'm glad that you decided to use a non-curse word. That's so well, uncharacteristic. <laughs> I know. Crystal and her mom reminisce about Crystal's ex-boyfriend, who worked at a sewer treatment facility, making him the very definition of a shitty boyfriend. <laughs> this guy gets brought up a lot. <laughs> Uh not a lot. He comes up he comes up later when she's talking to Olivia. Yeah. Crystal, her mom and dad start making breakfast together when in walks Crystal's sister, Heather, and her husband Nick and their kids. They all have a they all have a grand French toast breakfast, but Crystal's mind drifts to Connor on the mountain recovering Phil's body. (laughs) After breakfast. (laughs) After hmm, breakfast. I wonder what Connor's doing. I wonder, I wonder if they I wonder if they found that dead frozen body.
1: It's just I'm like just like <laughs> this is gonna be like another Simpsons reference, but there was one where they found like a frozen body. Oh, it was, uh, no no, it was like that episode where they're doing the shining and they're all like frozen to death. Yes, yes.
0: The shining. Let's are you trying are you trying to get sued? <laughs> After breakfast, Crystal heads home to relax. While unwinding, she receives a call from Connor who confirms that Phil is still dead. So he calls her and says, I have some bad news. Phil is dead. Like We totally forgot that 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 we knew this. Or we thought like Uh, Phil had the ability to regenerate or something. Something could possibly have happened and Phil was out there amongst the living, but then he died again. But Connor (laughs) did call and confirm that Phil is still dead and that his body has been sent to the Seattle medical examiner for an autopsy. Connor mentions that the sheriff will be reaching out for a statement. The next morning, Crystal attends a mandatory staff meeting at Eco, where she meets some other employees. It's here that Amelia lets the folks know that Eco's liability insurance has been suspended due to the accident and will remain so until the investigation is complete. This means no tours, which means folks are on furlough. The new job seems to be going swimmingly, Crystal. Bet she's uh, really regretting quitting that, uh, that cushy office job. Uh, She'd
1: probably rather be homeless than work for Darcy again. I don't blame her.
0: Connor and Crystal... Uh, well connor asks crystal to starbucks which is starbucks a big thing in seattle
1: i don't i don't know so like i grew up in washington state but i grew up in eastern washington where there's nothing Well, there's nothing it's just tumbleweeds okay tumbleweeds and hate and so i don't really know i would imagine it wouldn't be that big of
0: a i mean starbucks did start in seattle they did so i don't know if people are just passionate about it because it's it's like their hometown thing or yeah but
1: like they they also have seattle's best coffee which is like almost as big
0: yes and a bunch of other independent coffee shops because for some reason washington state specifically seattle is like a coffee mecca
1: yeah they really like a theme yeah i guess so
0: so anyhow connor asked crystal at starbucks because nothing says money management during a layoff better than sipping a nine dollar coffee beverage I think in the back of her head, she was like, yeah, if you're paying. And he did. He did pay. I mean, he Um, doesn't have a job. Yes. So we we already know that because he's disingenuous. So (laughs) it's at this coffee date that uh, Connor comes up with this plan to milk his female cousin, who was a cop, for information about the investigation. But he also knows that she won't sing if she suspects that's what's happening. So Connor suggests that Crystal pretend to be his new girlfriend and Holly, Connor's cousin, will meet them for dinner and he can talk to her then and milk her for information because apparently Crystal and Connor, all they know how to do is lie. Crystal know. gets gussied up and heads to Connor's apartment for the dinner date. The two compliment each other, but are they even truthful about that? Who knows at this point? Enter <laughs> cousin. so H- many lies. <laughs> Enter cousin Holly, still in uniform, which is really... She's a cop and that's really that and a priest are probably the only two jobs where you can show up in uniform and not get looked at. Can you imagine being like a surgeon and showing up in like your bloodied scrubs?
1: <laughs> they'd, be so. like, hey, that's, they'd be like, hey, that's unsanitary. Please yes. take that off.
0: So anyhow, enter cousin Holly. She's still in uniform and immediately reveals that she and Connor are more like siblings as he was raised by her parents after his dad left and his mom turned to a life of drugs and alcohol. Yeah, She then says, sorry to overshare <laughs> and then sips her wine like a game set match. I don't know what <laughs> she was trying to prove, but she I, put all his business out there.
1: I kind of felt like she was like Amy Schumer in that, that skit. Where like the wine glass just keeps getting bigger and bigger.
0: Because she starts saying that she starts off with, I'm just going to have a sip. And then the next thing you know, she's three sheets.
1: Yeah, and she's just like, let me tell all, let me tell you all of Connor's business.
0: So Holly flips between recounting stories of growing up with Connor and asking Crystal questions about the night at the chalet when Phil took a shortcut to lower ground. She lets it out that <laughs> she lets it out that Phil was apparently knocked out prior to death, as he had blunt force trauma to the head that was received pre-mortem, uh, and that the case was looking more and more like foul play. I don't know when somebody falls off of a cliff and potentially hits every rock on the way down, how they can tell what was pre-mortem and what was post-mortem.
1: Yeah, it must. I mean, maybe because
0: it was already bruising. I don't know. But we also know later that, in the grand scheme of things, not much time passed between that incident and then him driving off the cliff.
1: Oh yeah, no, it was like m- maybe fifteen
0: minutes. Yeah, that's what it seemed. So yeah. I don't know how the cops would know this. Um, it's a little suspension of uh, of belief in this case, but this explains that three star review. Oh, it It does. I'm gonna have to go in and alter my review rating. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, Anyhow, she states that it was Blunt Force Trauma that was received pre-mortem and that the case is looking more like foul play. With that, Holly skedaddles, Connor and Crystal admit that dinner was fun and they should really go on a real date. This is the second time they've been cutesy with each other after bad news, which leads me to believe they're secretly like this people who find sexual gratification <laughs> in horrific situations. Like in that movie Crash. Not that one, the other one. The next day, Crystal- There's another
1: movie named Crash?
0: Yes, it's with James Spader and Holly Hunter. Oh. And it is about two people who like to masturbate at s- scenes of graphic car crashes.
1: Oh, that's a slightly different movie than the other crash. It
0: is. I don't think it won any Academy Awards. The <laughs> next day, Crystal gets a call from uh, Sergeant Tyler Prescott with the Sheriff's Department who asks her to come to the local police station to answer some questions. By the time she gets there an hour later, Tyler Prescott introduces himself as Deputy Prescott, leaving one to wonder just how bad he fucked up in an hour to drop to entry level. <laughs> the, the newly he, dem- he was an elected official. No, he's not. Right. Well, he wasn't the sheriff, but he was, uh, Oh, he wasn't yes. the sheriff, but, but he wasn't also a deputy. He was a, he was a, a sergeant. sergeant. Yeah, yeah. But now he's suddenly a deputy, which is like the entry level position. The newly demoted law enforcement officer asks Crystal to recount everything she can remember about the snowshoe trek to the chalet on that fateful night. Clearly, Crystal is an acid queen because this (laughs) inquiry triggers uh, another flashback. On the the morning of the event, Crystal is driving one van with four members of the party while Connor is driving the others. A quick glance in the rearview mirror gives Crystal a view of Phil staring at his assistant, Bree. Uh, who inches further and further from his leering gaze? The group gears up and begins to trek to the chalet via a groomed trail. Everyone looks to be having a blast, but perpetual frowny-puss Phil and put upon Madeline, who offer—I'm sorry—who often break the serenity of the trip with failed photo ops and bursts of profanity. The group takes <laughs> the group takes selfies and pictures aplenty. Selfie. Yep. While ascending a hill, Gary takes the opportunity to remind folks that he's a gross misogynist with a fitness tracker, the absolute worst. He probably wears those socks with the individual toes. That's how much of a monster oh, he is. I hate those socks so much. Gary laughs at Phil's petty insult toward Ryan. Gary spends so much time with his face, uh, with his face within kissing distance of Phil's ass that he probably has a perpetual case <laughs> of pink eye. <laughs> I hate Gary so much. Everybody hates Gary. He's he is he is such a Darcy. (laughs) Ryan almost cleans Gary's clock, and Justin and Bree mention how horrible the little troll is. Connor defuses any attempted fight, and the gang settles down and Phil sneers at Ryan before everyone heads to the chalet for dinner. The detective cuts Crystal off after she begins recounting the events that night at the cabin because he claims that Roxy already filled him in and the story is consistent which is alarming because Roxy was allegedly sleeping like the dead. So either this is a continuity error or like everyone else in the story, she's a liar. I already know she's a liar. <laughs> well, we, this is true because we know that she's not Southern. Yes. With so many pants on fire, I'm not sure how there's any <laughs> snow on the mountain. <laughs> Roxy meets Crystal in the hallway and invites her to lunch because eating is obviously a staple of the cozies. Alas, Crystal is budgeting and for the once makes a wise decision and only has a cup of tea. Roxy reveals that she doesn't work for Eco, but for some rich bloke named Bran, uh, I think it was like Baronenhof, something like that, uh, who owns lavish mountain properties and rents them out to the tour groups. The two men talk about uh, the state that the group left the chalet. She states that they emptied 14 bottles of wine in one night. They broke some crystals. They trashed a room. They stole some towels. I think it was like they stole two towels. They knocked over a shelf with knickknacks, like a geode and a trilobite. I don't know what a trilobite is. I, don't know if right. I think it's a beetle. It's like a... A beetle, I want to say. I don't know. Who knows? But, Anyhow, Crystal mentions that Brie was staying in the room with the displaced shelving and suggests that maybe she and Justin had a fight. Probably about her incessant crying. Like, would you dry it up, bitch? Um, <laughs> just every time. Flash forward, or not flash forward, because we're not in a flashback now, but jump ahead. Oh, I just looked at Trilobite on- online. What is it? Uh,
1: I... Uh
0: thank you, that was very informative.
1: Sorry, it means three lobes. They are a group of extinct marine um athreopods. Anthropod? Yeah, that form a class trilobite. They look like the face huggers from
0: Alien. Okay. They are horrifying. Okay, that it sounds amazing. Crystal mentions that, again, I'm going to backtrack, Crystal mentions that Brie was staying in the room with the displaced shelving and suggests that she and Justin had a fight. Later that day, best friend Olivia stops by Crystal's apartment for some girl time. Olivia mentions that Amelia called for a reference, Amelia being the boss at Eco. So Olivia mentions that Amelia called her for a reference, and Olivia pretended to be Crystal's boss and gave her a glowing reference. Another goddamn liar. Olivia, of all people, lying. Olivia, who apparently, want, go ahead. She's just, it's
1: just like everybody in this, show, in this movie is just like, how do I get what I want?
0: Or how do I help Crystal, basically? Let's lie. Yes. I'm glad you called the book a movie.
1: Anyhow, <laughs> in my head, it was, th- this one actually did kind of read a lot like a movie.
0: Olivia, who apparently suffers early onset dementia, inquires of Crystal how she got the job at Eco, as if the previous conversation about her lying for her didn't happen. Then, in the most unbelievable moment of the entire book, Crystal responds, I'm not going to lie. Then immediately (laughs) follows it up with, I lied on my resume. She told the truth about lying. Uh, Isn't that fresh? The two enjoy a, a meal that's common and cozies of uh, grilled cheese and tomato soup. And now I know where the idea for dinner two weeks ago came from, Robbie.
1: It was us.
0: Okay. Uh, which those grilled cheeses that you made were phenomenal with the, with the, um, the Kerrygold butter and the, the cheese. That was yeah.
1: yeah uh, the, the Swiss cheese and cheddar. Yes, that was, that was good. Yeah, I liked it.
0: So, yeah, so anyhow, those two, they enjoy a, uh, a meal of um, grilled cheese and tomato soup. It's during this discussion, and then they end up talking some more, and it's during this discussion that Olivia suggests that Crystal try to solve the murder case instead of, you know, finding a paying job. <laughs> they review the company website and see that Phil was set to retire later that year, and one of the associates is in line to inherit the business, meaning all that any of these associates had to do was wait a few months for the man to retire and get out of their hair. The next day starts her first day in the retail shop since the tours are 86. She uses an opportunity at the store to sneak into the manager's office and look through the files that she's basically trying to get contact information for all the members of the ill-fated tour group. She gets busted by Amelia, so Crystal resorts to the one thing she does <laughs> so well and fucking lies like a rug. She makes up some story about how she had questions about the return policy, and Amelia buys it hook, line, and sinker, and mentions she has some clerical work for Crystal to do, which of course gives Crystal access to the records she was snooping for to begin with. The weekend arrives, and Crystal uses the addresses she found to pay visits to the members of the tour group, starting with Georgia. Georgia doesn't seem too concerned that some tour guide from a wilderness trip was questioning her. She spoke freely about Phil and Madeline and gave Crystal a bit of history about Calvert and associates. We learned that Phil had a bit of a wandering eye, a wandering hand and a wandering penis. Uh, A prior affair almost led to a divorce. They get around to discussing what happened the night of the death. Georgia admits that it started with Phil getting kicked out of the bedroom and told to sleep on the couch by Madeline. The cause of the fight is still unknown. Okay,
1: so Georgia in this conversation says that one of the women that Phil tried to sleep with accused him of assaulting her. And Georgia is just kind of okay with this fact. What the hell is wrong with Georgia?
0: Um... Job security. She's not going to ruffle any feathers.
1: Yeah, she was like, oh, he uh, attacked um, a, a, a young lady. And, um,
0: mm, and daddy, yada yada <laughs> yada."
1: Yeah.
0: Heh. Not her monkeys, not her circus.
1: Yeah, it's kind of what's going on here. And then, I don't know, like, everybody in this office is uh, the literal devil.
0: Yes. So anyhow, that night, after she, after she meets with Georgia, that night, Connor and Crystal go on their date. She admits that she's investigating the tour group. Connor finds this perfectly sane, proof that they deserve one another. They exchange a kiss so dry that it changes the rain in Seattle to snow. The next day, <laughs> the next day, Crystal visits a rightfully inebriated Madeline, who seemed to think that being questioned by their tour guide is the most natural thing in the world. Why nobody reacts to, to Crystal showing up at their door and asking questions in any way other than, oh, this is perfectly normal. Is beyond me.
1: Anyhow, I, I love this part of cozy mysteries, where somebody who has no business
0: being in the case is just suddenly Perry Mason. I will say this though, or Columbo. The, the one thing this cozy does is gives at least gives her a vested interest in the crime. It happened yes. on her watch. She was there when this person was murdered. So
1: that's, that's the way how start. Like the first mystery, it is. Because they have an invested interest in it.
0: I found this just a little different. I found this more of she she was a she is one of the players, and in instead of just happening upon it, so she admits she's making Gary the new boss. Uh, Madeline admits to Crystal that she's making kiss ass Gary the new boss, which Ooh. just goes to show that sucking ass truly does work. She mentions. <laughs> She mentions the fight that uh, she and Phil had was over Bree, who, according to Madeline, was a tart who made eyes at her man, then goes on to slut shame, a potential victim of sexual assault. Classy Madeline! Yeah, she's so fucking great. Yeah. Madeline mentions that the entire group were out for Phil's money, except for Gary, who saw Phil as a second father. Madeline then does a faceplant into the floor and announces that she is late to feed the homeless. Uh, (laughs) Crystal takes Madeline to the mission where Ryan and Alice show up. Ryan and Alice mention that they've been volunteering at the mission through their church, indicating they have a religious moral compass and an altruistic nature, so they possibly couldn't be the killers. Crystal drops the bomb that Gary was the heir to the company. Ryan goes red, but remains collected because it would seem untoward for him to be mad about something such as that. Alice, in one of the most rational and realistic moments in the books, tells Crystal to shut the fuck up and mind her business. (laughs) Thereby making the rest of the meal service awkward as hell. So basically I, I'm not gonna lie, I'm kind of on Alice's side for most of the book. Yeah, that was the um Alice's reaction was probably the, the the most realistic reaction that anybody should have. This tour guide group, like this group of tour, I'm sorry, this group tour guide, they don't know her. They knew her for one day. And now she's <laughs> and just barely talked up. To her. Yeah, she was she was she was she's just there. Yeah, she's the help, is what it boiled down to. So They're all serving this meal at this mission to the homeless. Uh, At the end of the service, at the the end of meal service, Ryan and Crystal approach a still drunk Madeline and confront her about making Gary the new Phil. Mads loses her shit and accuses Ryan and Alice of killing Phil, which they deny because, (laughs) duh, Madeline then hawks out, throws tomatoes at Alice and Ryan, then bludgeons Alice with a tray of taco shells. Crystal then decides this is the time for her to leave. She ducks out on the situation she created and calls Olivia to pick her up because she rode to the mission with Madeline. There's so much violence in this book. After such a horrific episode, Crystal decides what she and Olivia need to do is eat. They go to a cozy restaurant for the sole purpose of exposition and to meet some waiter named Luke who comps their order and slips Crystal them digits. The next day, Crystal tracks Gary. We know Gary, the kiss-ass. She tracks Gary to the gym at which she regularly exercises. Gary regales her with a bit of information that Alice and Ryan testified against Phil prior for fuckery, and Phil couldn't fire them in retaliation. Gary mentions on the night in question, he drank with Madeline for the first part of the night, then passed out because Madeline is a pro drinker and he is weak sauce. So he ended up passing out, but he woke up to the sound of a snowmobile firing up and driving off. The next day, Crystal decides who she really needs to to destroy next is (laughs) Brie. Well, it would be so easy. (laughs) Yes. One word. Sweet cat adoption event volunteering church choir singing wholesome (laughs) Brie. She shows up at Brie and Justin's home uninvited and pretty much helps herself to Chinese food delivery because she shouldn't wreck Brie's soul in an empty stomach. (laughs) Brie opens up that she and Justin are dating and that despite what Madeline thinks, she never made a move on Phil. She then goes on to discuss the events of the night in question. Again, Madeline kicks Phil out of the room. Ryan and Alice were in the main room of the chalet eavesdropping on the fight, maybe hoping to get some blackmail, uh, you know, some dirt on Phil. They're just really into hot guys. <laughs> yes. She gives some watered down version of the events that don't quite match up. A second fight and breaking glass and a thump were never mentioned, even though Crystal knows all of this happened. At this point, Justin shows up and questions Crystal's intention. And in asking all these questions, Crystal then pulls out the old ace in a hole—her lies—and tricks Justin into admitting that Phil was in Bree's room and they had an argument. Bree starts crying again. She probably needs Pedialyte at this time. <laughs> Justin threatens Crystal and tells, tells her that he's calling the cops. She turns tail and leaves without so much as Brie uh, so cracking under the pressure. So she really thought she was going to break Bree. She ended up not doing it, and Justin ran her off. Crystal's exit is halted by a dead battery. Her father comes to her rescue. This delay and departure affords Crystal the opportunity to see Justin leave the house with a half-full trash bag, which he drops into his trunk and drives off. Crystal trails him to a dumpster alleyway in an alleyway where he tosses the bag. Crystal stays hidden until Justin leaves. Then she decides she's going to dive into the dumpster, but the stench is too much for her to handle. She can't get the bag without retching. If only she knew a homeless person. Joe, a homeless man she met at the mission while serving food, shows up and retrieves the bag for her for $5. Back at her condo, which... This is, <laughs> this plays out like, like a... um like a 1990s uh, full motion video, like point and click video game, where <laughs> this is really, this should be more your alley, because I've never played one of these games. So, there was a game called Phantasmagoria, A Puzzle of Flesh, where in the beginning, oh. the main character's wallet is under a couch.
1: Instead oh, yeah, of, you told me about that.
0: Instead of, the, instead of the main character just pushing the couch aside and picking up the wallet, or, you know, reaching under getting on the floor and reaching under <laughs> What he ends up having to do is go and get his pet rat out of the cage. He puts the rat under the couch and the rat starts chewing on the wallet. So in order to get the rat out, you have to coax it out with a granola bar that you end up finding in the pantry. So the rat allegedly doesn't stop chewing on the wallet, but grabs the wallet and pulls it out in order to get the the granola bar. This is the kind of logic. She could have just gone into the dumpster herself But instead, there's a serendipitous moment where a homeless person who she met for five minutes suddenly shows up and rescues her and gets the bag out of the dumpster. And then it's just like, by the way, lady, you have a piece of shit car, which I thought was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) The homeless guy just threw shade at her car. Uh, So anyway, she goes back to her condo with this uh, half full trash bag. She opens the bag and she finds two towels from the chalet covered in blood. She also finds a bloody hair encrusted geode because Chekhold's geode theory states if you see a geode <laughs> if you see a geode in the first act, it'll show up again by the final act. At this point, she should just fucking call the cops. But what she does instead is head off back to Bree and Justin's to confront them. But first, she takes the towels and the geode, you know, possible evidence of crime and cover-up, and passes them off to Connor with instructions to get these items to her sister for DNA work. She then heads to Calvert and Associates, where she stakes out the place until Brie leaves and heads home. Crystal follows her, forces her way into the apartment complex, and confronts Brie to pick up where she left off in destroying this poor girl's soul earlier. Poor girl's soul. I just ran all that together. Sounds like I was drunk. Crystal reveals to Bree that she has the towels and the geode on the way to the popo, and Bree opens up like a dam in a hurricane. She admits that Phil came to her room, tried the old rape moves, which resulted in a struggle, and Phil getting cracked upside the head with a geode. Good job, Bree. I know she, she did the right thing. Justin then shows up in time to see Phil bleeding out. Everyone else shows up, and Alice takes phil 's paws and declares them dead on the scene. She is a liar. <laughs> Brie thought for sure that she was on the way to meet old Sparky, but Alice has a plan. That plan was to weekend at Bernie's Phil off of a cliff. <laughs> it seemed like an accident. Uh, because that is the logical and natural thing to do in a simple self-defense case.
1: Yeah, like the worst of that would have happened to Brie is that the cops would have been like, oh, he tried to rape you?
0: Right. Okay. And then we find out he wasn't even dead at that time. He had a pulse <laughs> This is all part of this is all for some reason to get Phil to die if anyone ever asks you to define bad timing justin shows up with ryan and alice crystal tries the nonchalant goodbye move but is forced into a chair by ryan who demands her phone crystal hands it over but for some reason refuses to give him the passcode and because ryan is whooped-ass mama's boy he needs the okay from alice his wife to backhand the taste out of crystal's mouth Permission this, granted. This scene was crazy to me. I was like, whoa, violence? Yeah, this, this, the end of this book, like, devolves into some bat crap, crazy, violent shit. Yeah. In a I cozy mean, mystery. I mean,
1: if it was like a thriller or another, like, mystery series that had a woman in it, it wouldn't be as jarring. But for a
0: cozy mystery, this was crazy. I will say, crystal can't take a punch one hit and she was like four three two one that was literally the passcode four three two one she's like just stop hitting me yes she's like i'll never talk four three two one
1: but then again like ryan is like way bigger than her
0: this is true And she probably didn't want to get another hit. (laughs) She was like, whoa, is it even worth it? These guys are already going to jail. I mean, does she think that that wouldn't be a possibility? I mean, she's already dealing with what she knows are cold-blooded killers at this point.
1: Listen, if she has read other cozy mysteries, no, she did not know this was a possibility. Oh,
0: okay. (laughs) Because I
1: didn't know this was a possibility.
0: At most, (laughs) they've only ever had guns pulled on them. Never Never have any other heroines been clocked in the mouth by a man
1: uh in the second hannah book she does get into a physical altercation with a man but she quickly handles him this is the only one where i've ever seen where a man like put his hands on a woman okay
0: yeah, so once again, all it took was one good hit for her, for her to give up them digits. <laughs> As suspected, Crystal recorded the confession, which means she rightly must die, but not before introducing her elbow to Ryan's septum.
1: Oh, yeah. Crystal does. Uh, well, well, Crystal can't take a punch. Crystal can't give a punch.
0: Yes, she, she is scrappy. Turns out she has had some self-defense training. Yes. And she has put it to good use. She has broken Ryan's nose. Then instead of running out, she decides that she's going to play her ace in the hole and admit that she has evidence on the way to the cops. Bree decides at this point she's done being silenced and she says that she'll sing like Adele. <laughs> Ryan and Alice reveal the motive behind all of this. They use the opportunity afforded by to them by Brie introducing Phil to geology to pretend that he was dead and not unconscious. Then drive his body off a cliff so they can start manipulating things into their favor so that they can inherit the company. All of this for the company. Yeah. Mm. seems And again, keep in mind, Phil was retiring. (laughs) Like literally in, in a few months, he was retiring. And it wasn't it wasn't like that information wasn't known. That was literally in the magazine article that Crystal and Olivia found.
1: I think that was like the whole point of the the trip too. It was supposed to be like their last, uh, like their uh, last bu- raw, yeah. yeah, yeah, their last
0: team building opportunity. Yeah. So you know, this this whole thing was just wrought with unfortunate timing poor decision-making this causes crystal to be uh, to to be like ah they're gonna kill me i got to do something so she she pretty much tackles ryan (laughs) down a flight of stairs i imagine her like on top of him sliding down the stairs because as soon as they hit the bottom of the stairs she rolls off of him rolls outside And hides behind her car while Alice comes out and starts firing a gun in the middle of the Seattle streets. Uh, Crystal's car windows explode because the bullets shatter them. Um, Crystal does this little hide maneuver where she circles around the car while Alice is making her way to the car. Alice thinks she has the jump on Crystal. Surprise, Crystal turns the tables. Bashes Crystal in the arm with some metal pipe that pipe that she found, and then bashes Crystal's head in with a pole. Finally, yes. <laughs> she draws a gun on Ryan, who is alive, and um, she anyhow Crystal get, gets the gun from Alice and then uh, turns the gun on Ryan and holds him hostage, pretty much while the cops show up and everybody lives happily ever after.
1: Well, after remember at the end of the book too, like she goes back to Emerald City Outfitters and they, like, hail yeah, they, her
0: as, like, the conquering hero. Oh, yeah, and they gave her a new cell phone because uh, um, Alice, Alice ended up is- stomping on Crystal's cell phone to get rid of the recording. Yeah. You know, it could also possibly be in the cloud, so that was stupid.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know what Alice's endgame
0: was. Connor also agrees to go on another date, so there's gonna be a second date, so already Ooh. I know, things are things are heating up. Um, and it, yeah, and I believe that it ended with a a kiss.
1: Yes, but it was also dry.
0: I'm sure. It was, you know, it's cold out still, so.
1: Well, I also like to think that they just, like, wipe off all the moisture off their lips before kissing.
0: Well, yes, in true, in true Hallmark fashion. But um, So, overall. I really liked it. I did, too. Yeah, I'm finding um, it very difficult to hate cozy mysteries based on the llama book that we read.
1: Oh, don't worry. And on, on this one. Should I, I tell, should, should I tell the listeners what, the, what our next book is in two weeks go for it uh in two weeks we'll be covering the first of uh joanne flukes hannah
0: swinson mysteries chocolate what, Ch- what did i say about turning away from the microphone when you're talking
1: well i had to get the cell phone because i need to get the actual name of the book out go for it oh hold on it's loading
0: it's the chocolate chip murder, chocolate Thank chip you. cookie murder.
1: You, chocolate chip Kruger. Yeah, because I was saying it wrong earlier, so I so you got me scared.
0: Yeah, I didn't have to look it up. It's the chocolate chip cookie murder. Yeah,
1: by Joanne Fluke.
0: Yes. So that's what we're going to be discussing in in two weeks. We prior to that we have another episode of of uh, Chesapeake Shores to recap. We do. Um, but let's let's t- before we wrap this up, I do want to give ML Erdahl some major props because for a first venture into the cozy genre, he kind of nailed it. He hit all the staples. And this, to me, read more like a Janet Ivanovich novel, if yes. that makes sense. It felt very much like a the, Stephanie, the, the, Plum. The Stephanie Plum. The Plum books. Yes. It felt very much like those. And um, it was a little heavier, a little more action-oriented at the end than I, yeah. than, than I was expecting. So for that, for people who are... Not necessarily into cozies. This did offer a little something more. The humor in this one is pretty damn funny.
1: Yeah, um, I, I, I found myself legitimately laughing. I'm old. Like the whole entire thing with Darcy was funny.
0: Darcy, Yes, the whole thing with Darcy was great. Um, the interactions between Olivia and Crystal feel very girl-friendly. Like it seemed very legit.
1: I enjoy any book where uh, they show uh, female friendships. Because uh, not so much in cozy mysteries, but in other books where I read, where there's female main characters, not a whole lot of female friendships. It's like one woman doing badass stuff, and then like a lot of men.
0: Yeah, this was very refreshing to see, and it's not just with Olivia. There's also Lisa at the store, and even her boss Amelia to to an extent. So yeah, and Roxy and Roxy. Yeah, so there's gonna. Be, I, I feel like there's gonna be this core of these these women. And I hope Roxy does come back. We'll have yeah. to wait and see. Uh, it seems like she would. I feel like there's potential there for her to do a lot more than what she was given to do. I also hope that they all find Jesus and learn not to lie. <laughs> oh, no.
1: I hope they continue to lie and lie their asses off.
0: Make no mistakes. I, again, for being a dour bear who hates cozy stuff, really enjoyed it. I, I Like, I, legit enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, we've gotten some good ones the one after chocolate chip cookie murder uh i think you'll like too i started reading it the suds and slaying and uh suds
0: and what slaying slaying okay yeah yeah again overall i really enjoyed it i highly recommend this one if you are new to the cozy genre this one is going to set you up with high expectations for other for other cozies and other cozies just aren't going to live up to that you're going to end up getting more of more tropes and more um, cliche with other cozies. Yeah, I really feel like we kind of stepped in it with these first two books that we discussed with yeah, the really murder drama with your llama and then with uh, Winter Takes All. And yeah. again, you can purchase Winter Takes All on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble, on Kobo, um, and probably somewhere else. You can find all that information on on uh, ML Ertel's website and by following him on Twitter. Again, that's at... Erdal ML. Speaking of social media and all that goodness, feel free to follow us on all of our social media. We are on Twitter. Our handle there is at cozy cub dower bear. That is also our name on Facebook for our Facebook page. And if you want to stop by the website and look at all the good stuff that we have on there, including the books that we've discussed and the teas that we've drank and reviewed, you can visit uh, cozy cub dower bear dot uh, com. We also want to give a shout out to Libby, who does the amazing theme song for our show. So the amazing, amazingly talented artist Libby, thank you once again for creating our awesome theme song. Any parting words of wisdom, Robbie? Do you want to? Do you want to move around in your chair and make any god awful noises or turn your mouth away from the microphone before we leave? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm good. Thank you, Tony. I mean, you say you're good, but you did it throughout the entire podcast, so.
1: Oh, oh, yeah. oh. oh. Is this so, how you want to end this? hmm
0: So we're going to end this on a fight. So the next time, <laughs> uh, we, I hope that you come back and enjoy the Dower Bear podcast. <laughs> and uh, hopefully Leonidas, executive executive producer and best boy, King Leonidas of Pupperton, will hopefully be out of the doghouse at that time. And, He's asleep on the left seat. And rehired. Well, that's just adorable. All right. So next week, we will be discussing episode two of Chesapeake Shores. And the week following that, we will discuss the uh, chocolate chip. Chocolate chip. No, I know the name of it. The chocolate chip. I'm just dreading it. The chocolate chip cookie murder.
1: Also, after we do that, instead of doing an episode of Chesapeake Shores, we might be reviewing the Hallmark movie classic, Chocolate Chip Cookie Murder.
0: I can't. I was going to say I can't wait, but I think it's as best if I stop at it. I can't. (laughs) It'll be more realistic that way. All right, everybody. Thank you for stopping by for our wonderful podcast today. Until then, stay cozy and be